Well, good morning, church family. Can we all stand to our feet this morning and worship together? Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. 
a seat. Thank you, worship team. Dustin, I want to welcome you back. Thank you for helping lead again this morning alongside our awesome worship team. Well, welcome. My name is Jonathan Chang, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at CBC, and it's just a privilege and uh, honor just to be able to worship alongside y'all this morning. Uh, wherever you are in your journey, in your faith journey, this is a great place to be, and we welcome you here. Uh, if you look at the pews in front of you, we have connect cards, or if you uh, look we, on our website, we also have a QR code. Actually, that's on the connect card. Disregard that statement. Let's start over. Control all delete. Sorry about that. But if you take the connect card, there is a QR code on the back of that. And the way these connect cards help us connect with you is that you can fill them out and turn them in at the welcome center, 
or you can scan the QR code on there and just fill out things online and that gets it to us as well. On the back you'll see there is a place for prayer requests. If we can pray for you, if we can petition on behalf of you, we'd love to do that. You can write that down on the back of the Connect card or you can do that on the QR code as well. Um, so talking about that, we have our Welcome Center where you can turn in your Connect cards. If this is your first time here and you're wanting more information about the church, we invite you to come to the Welcome Center. But if you've been here for a little while and you're wanting to figure out how can I go deeper, how can I figure out how to get involved in a group or a class or our Go ministry, we invite you to come to the Next Steps uh, kiosk or booth, which is on the right-hand side, and usually me or Aaron will be there, and we will do our best to get you whatever information you need to go deeper with our church family. This week, we begin all of our programming again. Christmas break has been fun, but we're ready to launch things, and so if you're trying to find what needs to, what begins and what starts, well, Sunday morning programming begins today, it resumes today for all our children, all our students, our young adults, everything, our classes and our groups. Women's ministry resumes on Tuesday. Men's ministry will resume on the 18th. There'll be a chili cook-off. You should come and hang out with a bunch of men, uh, for the men. We also have our extreme team programming, which is for our fifth graders, and then our Wednesday night life groups, which is for our students. Again, really, the easiest way to see and find out everything that's going on is we email out a bulletin to you all every week, and that gives a pretty detailed list of everything going on. Uh, and so I encourage you to take a look at that, and if you're wanting to be able to get that email on our, web on our website, if you go down to the bottom of it, you can click on a link saying, we want to get emails from you, and that's a great way to get all of that information. With that being said, I have a couple more announcements for you. Uh, first, in regards to our children's ministry. As Evan and Avalyn have shared throughout uh, the end of last semester and the beginning of the semester, they have a few needs. Well, God is providing, and we just have a handful more that we could really use your partnership on. At the 9.30 hour, we could use a small group leader for first and second grade and one for third through fifth grade. And also at the 11 o'clock hour, we could use a leader for the three-year-old preschool class and also a third through fifth grade co-class leader. Four positions. I'm certain that we can get that taken care of today. So come alongside us. Partner with us. This is what church family is, right? We serve one another. And so I look forward to seeing all of these spots filled. In addition to that, next Saturday we have Second Saturday. For those that don't know what Second Saturday is, it's when we come together as a church and we go into our community, not just as ambassadors of CBC, but even more importantly, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so we serve our neighbors, we love our neighbors, and we share the word of God. We share the gospel with our neighbors. And so I invite you to join us next Saturday for Second Saturday. Today, we begin our Compelling Love series. For the next eight weeks, we're going to talk about what is a compelling love? What does a compelling love do? Why does that motivate us? And today, I'm so excited. My brother Tony Svensson, our Go Pastor, is going to lead this series off defining that for us so we can see how we can live into that terminology, that phrase, as a body of believers. If you are unaware, we have booklets available for you. If you didn't get one in the lobby, you can grab one afterwards. We have plenty of them to go. There are a ton of resources in there, lots of exciting challenges and things to do for, that you can do either in your small groups, your classes, with your friends. Uh, we even have a really cool playlist. Sorry, I'm, make, I'm making a plug for that. But on one of the pages, there is a QR code, and we have a playlist for you to listen to just as you're studying the Word during this series. But another thing I want to draw your attention to in this series, we're going to have a prayer event on January 25th. Together we pray. That Wednesday the 25th in the gym, we're going to gather together as a church body, and we're going to pray together because that's what a church family does. And so uh, we're inviting everyone to come. And so for those that picked up a booklet last week, if you look on page three of the big ones or page four for the smaller ones, there's a... Uh, you can correct the date to January 25th. We put the wrong date in, but January 25th is the right date. So mark that on your calendars. We want you to come and pray together with us. During this series, one of the things we invited you all to do is be a part of a class or a group. And if you're wanting to do that, uh, on the QR code that's on the back of the Connect card, when you scan that, there is a link that will tell you all the different classes and groups that we have available. And that is a great way you can plug in. Again, I'm excited that Tony's going to preach to us or speak to us today about what a compelling love is. But before that, I want to invite 
my dear brother Jose Navarez, one of our church elders, to come up. And he's going to pray over our church this morning. Hey, church, let, let's bow our heads and, and pray to our living God. Oh, Lord, our God, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. We look at your creation, the infinite number of stars, the creativity and complexity of everything we see and touch, and we see the work of your fingers. Lord, who, who are we that we even, that even think about us? Who are we that you even care about us? Lord, at one time we were separated from you, from you going our own way, the way of destruction. But because of your great love, even though we were sinners, you sent your, your beloved son to pay the price for our sins. And once fall, restore our relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this morning that the, that, that the great act of love that you, on your part, will compel us to love you and others. We pray that we will be compelled to love your word as necessary food. We pray that we will be compelled to love your church by serving. We pray that we will be compelled to love those that don't know you yet by telling them about Jesus. We pray that we will be compelled to love those who, haven't, who have hurt us or who, who are against us by praying for them and seeking reconciliation. We pray that we will be compelled to be part of the work you're doing around the world by praying and going, by, by praying, going, or giving. We, we pray as we find ourselves in this transition period that you will be with our congregation, the search team, the, the church staff, and the elder board as we seek to, to, to do your work here at Cypress Bible. Lord, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to help us and teach us. Lord, we, are, we, we, we present ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice to you. Allow your word as we hear here today to transform and renew our minds so that we, so we may change the way we think and learn to know your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me invite y'all to rise up as we continue to worship the Lord in song this morning.
for your presence in this place this morning. God, what a gift it is that you join us and you inhabit your, this place when we sing to you, when we worship you. Father, we just ask that you be with the word this morning, that we open our hearts. God, may we learn more this morning. May we grow closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We start this, uh, this series, Compelling Love. And this morning we're gonna be looking at 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verses 11 through 16. I'm gonna go ahead and read that now for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 16. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience we are not commending ourselves to you again, but give you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our minds, it is for God. If we are of the right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even though we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we know him in this way no more. Let us pray. Father, we come into your presence this morning and we pray that you would speak by the power of your spirit, that you would draw us closer to yourself, Lord and that you would compel us to live the life that you've called us to, to your glory and to your praise, that others may know you as well. So we give this time over to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be looking at uh, this for the next eight weeks, this idea of compelling love. And this morning we're going we're to kind of dive into uh, what does it mean to be compelled by love? Uh, it's, a, it's a challenging thing. And I can remember when I was a, a young Christian and I was growing in my faith, uh, I began to start to see some kind of contradictions. Uh, I was diving into the Word, and I was going to church, and I was kind of seeing different things than what I guess I expected. Uh, Christians weren't necessarily acting the way um, I thought they maybe should be acting, doing the things I felt they should be doing, and uh, ultimately I kind of felt some inward conviction, like, God, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, I, I was watching different things and reading different things, and, and I came across a documentary on Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, and I was just fascinated by his life. He was a German uh, theologian, and uh, he kind of led a, a kind of a resistance uh, against the German church, who really kind of uh, adopted kind of some Nazi principles and was kind of going along with this, and they weren't really standing up. And I, I was just fascinated that this man uh, kind of took a stand against all this. And so I began to look at, you know, maybe some different things that he had written, and I, and I came across uh, this book, The Cost of Discipleship. And I was extremely moved by it. And so chapter one uh, kind of just, it really just kind of punched me in the face, kind of punched me in the gut, kind of just left me like, oh. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit of this, just so you get the idea. The, the essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possible of using it and spending it is infinite. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to the denial of the living Word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the Word of God. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. Instead of following Christ, 
Let the Christian enjoy the consolation of his grace. That is what it means by cheap grace. That grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is preach, the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is, is without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all he has. It is the pearl of great price by which the merchant will sell all his good goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye that causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which we must be asked for, the door at which we must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man his only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, but it is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be made cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son to, to, to a dear price to pay for our lives but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is the sanctification, or is the sanctuary of God. It is to be protected from the world and not thrown to the dogs. It is therefore the living word, the word of God, which speaks as it pleases him. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to this broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it impels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Chapter 1. Yeah, so I started reading that, and, and, and again, I was just, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with all that. How do I live this life? And, and I kept trying, and I kept trying, and, and I felt like I wasn't adequate. I wasn't up to the task. And, and the truth of the matter is none of us are up to the task. We will all fall short. And so, so what do we do then? How do we, how do we live the Christian life? in a manner that is pleasing to God, in a manner that, that the world will see and know that we belong to him. And so I think this, this idea of compelling love is just that. How do, we, how do we live this life that God has called us to? God says that when he gives us his spirit, we'll have his fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if we had all of those things, we would need nothing else. But yet we seem to always try to seek other things to add to that, to find satisfaction and joy. And I think ultimately because we, we have missed the person of Jesus Christ, we have missed the true meaning of the gospel. And so I hope through this series that, that you'll begin to see, that you'll begin to under, understand who God is and what he's truly called us to. We can't live the Christian life by our own strength, by our own wisdom, by our own power. We have to, to return and plead with God. God, work in me. Transform me. Change my mind. Change my inner being that I may live the life that you've called me to, pleasing and glorifying to you. And again, that the world may see and know that we belong to him. And so we're going to go through this, uh, this passage this morning, and I hope this will bring some light to this. Uh, so verse 11 says, Therefore we know the fear of the Lord. We try to persuade people. I think Paul returns to this theme over and over 
uh, as, he's, as he's declaring through the, the many villages he's working with and the leaders he's training up is it all starts with knowing the fear of the Lord. Paul is very evangelistic. He wants the gospel to go forth, but he recognizes it starts and ends with God, with his person, with, with fearing him. And as we've said in the past, this isn't a, isn't a God's not a mean and angry God, right? He's a gracious God, and this fear is, is, a, is an awe and respect of who God is. In the book of uh, Philippians, it says that, that every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. Every knee, every tongue will confess. And I think sometimes we, we, we portray God kind of like we do in the, in the movies. You see the, the overlord, the guy in charge, and he says, bow before me you worthless people, right? And, and sometimes we kind of portray that image on God, that God somehow is so all-powerful that he's going to force all of us to bow before him, to submit to his authority. And I don't think that's the God of Scripture. I don't think that's how God portrays himself to be. When we read uh, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter 6 stands before God, and the, and the angels are covering him and, because nobody can look upon God and live. And Isaiah bows down before him and he says, Woe to me, for I am, a, I am ruined. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. I think one day every person is going to stand before Jesus Christ and because of his glory, they will bow to their knees and they will say, he is Lord. The atheist will stand before God and they will say, he is God. He is worthy to be praised. Not because God demands it, because of his glory, because of his holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. And so simply by entering into the presence of God, it's, it transforms us. That fear of the Lord, that holy awe and reverence of who he is, is, is what should drive us. And so the first step in living the Christian life is come before the throne of God and see him and know him for who he is. The God of Scripture, the God who has revealed himself to us that we may know, He's a God who desires to be known. He doesn't, keep, he doesn't keep it a secret. He reveals it that the whole world can know. And when we come to that place, just like Isaiah said, here I am. Paul is going along and he's, because of the fear of the Lord, he's persuading people. He's proclaiming the good news of God has revealed himself. He has come. He has walked among us. He has revealed his glory through his son. And his son came. He was willing to, to live among us. He was willing to face humiliation and ridicule and contempt and be beaten and tortured and ultimately willing to go to the cross. And Paul's conscience was clear because of this. In verse 12 it says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but give you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance, but rather in, the, in, in their hearts. Uh, ultimately, God is seeking for those who desire to worship him in truth and spirit. He doesn't look at the outward man. And I think many times as Christians, we're, we're compelled sometimes to try to live the Christian life and look good and look clean and, and come here and, and kind of play the part. Well, I come to church every Sunday and I pay my tithe and I read my Bible and I pray every day. All of those things are good, but ultimately God, God knows the intent of your heart. He knows, knows your desire. But ultimately, I think even when you don't want to do those things and you do them, that shows your heart as well. Sometimes you don't want to come to church, but you come and say, God says, I see that. I know you don't want to be here, but you're here. I know you don't want to 
maybe read the Bible today. Maybe you want to binge watch some Netflix series, but you're in his word. I see that. We can't hide from a holy God. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. And so again, we come to him and say, God, give me the thirst, the hunger for your word, and the hunger for your people, and, and the hunger for to do the things that you've called me to do. I, I know I, I know it. I don't want to do it. I know my flesh fights against these things. But transform my mind that I may desire the things of God, that I may desire to forever dwell in your presence. This, this isn't necessarily a, a salvific issue. And I think sometimes people may make it a salvific issue. It's a, it's a sanctification issue for sure. Uh, but we are justified freely by God's grace through faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, the promise of the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are, you are born anew. You're his child. He adopts you into his kingdom. Um, but that's not the end of our journey. Christianity begins at the cross. And by the power of the resurrection, he gives us a new life. But we have to come to him and, and desire that transformation. And, and God is willing to do it. He's willing to walk with us. Verse 13, For if we are out of our minds, it is for God. But if we are of the right mind, it is for you. Now, Paul in his day was called crazy by many people. He was very zealous for the things of God, and people said, this guy is out of his mind. He is Looney Tunes. And I think uh, for many of us, if we were to live out the life the, uh, that God calls us to, the world would call us crazy. They would say, what are you doing? Hey, did you... Did you binge this Netflix series? No, I didn't. I was, I was studying the, the scriptures, right? And that's not to say that you can't binge a Netflix series. I've binged many a Netflix series. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's keeping things in, in balance. Uh, and sometimes people will ask you, hey, did you watch this? And I say, no, I don't, I don't think that's appropriate to watch. I, think, I don't think that's something my God would have me watch. And people will say, ah, you're, you're crazy, right? And they'll have all kinds of, of things to say about us. But, but as Christians, I think we've just, again, this, this idea of cheap grace is, ah, you go ahead and do it anyway. God's grace is sufficient. It, it is sufficient. But is it what he wants for us? Are we tra being transformed by the renewing of our mind by a holy God, or are we being transformed by the things we're inputting into our minds? We live in a society that says, hey, it's all here for you. There's, there's not hardly anything you can't find if you want to find it in our society. And, and that's scary. And much of it, our society is calling good. And it's horrific and evil and contemptible. And it's not what God has called us to. So recently, you know, this last uh, week or so, there was a, an NFL player... Uh, Damar Hamlin, and he was on the field, and he collapses, and the EMS have to come out and revive him on the field, and as he's laying there, it was interesting that, that you probably saw the ESPN sportscaster, uh, Dan Orlevsky, um, decides to pray on live TV. It was, it was, it was amazing. But it was interesting how Dan started his prayer. Um, he says, maybe this is not the right thing to do, but it's in my heart, and I want to pray for Damar. As Christians, we should never say this isn't the right thing to do. It was absolutely the right thing to do. And could you imagine if the world, on a regular basis, saw this sort of thing from Christians that, like, it was just our go-to, hey, let me pray for you. And it became so commonplace that, that they just expected it from us. 
I've seen this happen in, in several instances in, in my workplaces that I've worked in, and they knew I was a Christian, and I was always trying to share the gospel with them, and they called me crazy, and then something would happen in their lives, and they would come to me and say, hey, will you pray for me? People that wanted nothing to do with me when I was sharing the gospel, but yet when something happened, they would come and say, hey, can you be, can you be in prayer for me? Because they knew and that's what Christianity should look like. That's what the body of Christ in the world should look like. They should expect us to go to these things. And it says this was the prayer heard around the world. People were just like, whoa, this guy prayed in front of people. And, and again, it, I, I love it. It's amazing. But it's also sad to me that, that that's so extraordinary. That should be commonplace among us. And so if we are out of our mind, it is for God, but if we are of right mind, it is for you. We recognize that, that it may look crazy to the world, but it's right because it's what God has called us to. Many years ago, I uh, began to see this, this group of people pop up, um, and they're called influencers. And somebody would say, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm an influencer. I said, come again? What, what are you influencing? I don't, I don't get it. That's a job? Like, people do this? Right? Um, and so it's like this, this whole group of people that, that decided they had enough, you know, Facebook friends and uh, a large enough group of people that were willing to hear them that, that you had this whole group of influencers. A person... Uh, or thing that influences another. He was a champion for the art and a huge, the arts and a huge influencer of taste. So it's kind of a marketing strategy that, that companies would use these influencers to try to kind of peddle their, their wares and uh, kind of promote their items. And so when we come to this, this idea of the love of Christ that compels us, I don't, want to get, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about this idea of compel. Jesus is not your influencer. He's not trying to lead you along and saying, hey, I got a product here that's pretty good. You might want to try it out. He's not trying to get your likes. He's not trying to, to promote it as if it was a, a product to be purchased. This, this word compels, is a, it's a powerful word. Um, but it implies to hold together, to be pressed on every side, to hold fast, to hold oneself to, to be pressed. The New King James translates uh, this passage as the love of Christ controls you. Now, that doesn't quite sound as palatable to us because of this idea of, of control. We don't like that word. We want to be free to make decisions and free to, to go our way. And if God is good enough, certainly uh, the, the product that he's selling, I, I will buy. And, and that's, not, that's not Christianity. This passage in John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. And there's many of these verses in Scripture, and I think this, this, this love of Christ compels us, right? If, if one die, then all, all should die. It, it kind of gives you a lump in your throat. And this verse, every time I read it, and you know, verses like, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Uh, and, you know, unless you hate your father and mother, and, like, all these verses are just like, oh, God, what do, I, what do I do with this? But if you love me, you obey my commands. And we focus on that word commands, and we say, okay, then I need to go out, and I need to obey these commands. And therefore, I will show God that I love him. That's not how it works. <laughs> you won't do it. You'll fail over and over again as hard as you try. If you love me, so love is the foundation that controls the action. If you love me, what does Jesus say? If you abide in me, you will. 
produce fruit. But the fruit only comes through the abiding. The obeying the commands only comes through the loving. And so we have to return to the God of love who calls us into a perfect relationship with himself. And through that loving relationship, he produces in us somebody who obeys. But again, sometimes I think we get this all jumbled up and we think that somehow we can please God by our actions. What pleases God is that you come to him. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His yoke is light, and what he's called us to is not a burden. Why? Because it's only through him that we accomplish any of it. And that's what we have to be reminded of over and over again. So verse 15, it says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again. So there's a, there's a, there's a contrast here. He died for all. All implies everyone, all people. Um, but the contrast is that those who live, so implying that all of those he died for are not all of those who live. So it doesn't mean this, this idea of universal salvation in which all people are going to be saved. The, the context of the verse is he died for all. So God in Jesus Christ has atoned for the sins of the world, but only those who live. So the gospel interjects this and calls us to receive God's grace, but we only receive it by faith. And those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are those who live, are those who receive a new life. And many times we go to a, a well-known verse like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, I, love, I love this verse, but this, this idea of God's atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world is very prevalent throughout the scriptures. 1 John 2.2 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith. Hebrews 2.9, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by gra the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen and tasted that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And he died for all that those who live. So 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, uh, For as in Adam all died, also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so when Adam sinned, we all inherited the nature to sin and do sin. And the wage of our sin is death. So Adam was a representative of all of, all of mankind, all of, all of humanity. And Jesus is the second Adam, representing all of humanity. And his death on the cross atones for the sins of, of humanity. And Christ calls us to come to him and receive this by faith. And all who by faith receive his grace are born anew, again, adopted into his family. And that is, the, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That his grace is sufficient. And that's what should compel us. The love of Christ should compel us to submit to the yoke of Christ. The love of Christ should, should call us to come to him and worship him in holy reverence. It should compel us to recognize the price that was paid 
that we might have salvation. It compels us to not be ashamed of the gospel. It compels us to come to him and be his student, to learn from him. It compels us to his word. It compels us to his, his church, his people. It compels us to friendship. It compels us to love our neighbor. It compels us to love our enemy. It compels us to love the nations and the lost in the world who need to hear the good news of the gospel. And so my prayer and my desire is that through this series that you would come to understand this idea of what is compelling love. I pray that you are encouraged uh, about all that God will reveal through this series. And we're asking that you make some commitments. One of the commitments is that you would commit to coming to church every week. I know it's a big ask, but it's what God desires. Be with, be with his people. Be with the saints. Let us grow together in this compelling love. It's not an individual challenge. It's a corporate challenge. Come to him and be transformed. Join a small group over the next seven weeks. Get to know people so that there can be accountability. Love one another plan to, to be a part of these weekly challenges. And so every week we've got some challenges in the booklets that we, that we want you guys to be a part of. Uh, prepare for your heart to be changed. Ask God, what do I need to surrender to you? God, what do I need to, what do I need to take up? Commit to memorizing and reading scripture. So each week there'll be a memory verse. Each week there'll be some, some scripture reading. And you'll see those in the, in the weekly challenges. Learn your spiritual gift. Connect with a friend or somebody from CBC. Invite your neighbor, right? God calls us to love our neighbor, and yet many times we're not reaching out to our literal neighbors who are right next door to us. What would that look like to reach out in your community and just invite somebody over for coffee or a meal? Hospitality. Let's pray for our enemies. And let's pray that the gospel would reach the lost and the nations. And so this is our prayer for this compelling series, is that, that the love of Christ would compel us. It would control us in such a way. And where does it start? It starts with coming to the throne of Jesus Christ, seeing God for who he is, fearing him, knowing him, and allowing God to transform our minds that we may accomplish all that God desires to do through us. So I'm going to ask the, the ushers to come forward, and today we're going to recognize, uh, through communion, the great sacrifice that was paid for our sins. We will take, uh, we'll take the communion corporately, and so as they hand out the elements, hold on to those. And so the, the blood and the bread are, symbolize what Jesus has accomplished in his gospel. He came into the world, he put on flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he said he was willing to go to the cross for the sins of the world, for your sins and for my sins and the sins of all people. He was willing to, to shed his blood on the cross. His body was given, it was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And when we take communion, God says we should do it in a right manner, recognizing what God has accomplished. But he says, take communion in a worthy manner. And so let's spend some time in prayer, just evaluating ourselves. Present yourself to God and say, God, uh, I have sinned in these areas. You know what they are. I know what mine are. Uh, there may be some hidden sin that you need to confess. God, I don't know what it is, but if I have sin, forgive me. Reveal that to me that I may, that I may change, that I may repent. If you got something against a brother or a, a friend or a neighbor, he says, make that right before you take communion. And he says, the, the penalty for taking communion in, in an improper manner is sickness, and even, it can even lead to death. We take communion very seriously. It represents the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's free for all to take who are his children. But listen, let's spend a few minutes in prayer, just, just presenting ourselves to God this morning.
Heavenly Father, we come to you with the bread and the cup, and we, we take these in remembrance of the great sacrifice that was paid that we might be your children. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take this in honor of your sacrifice. This is the bread that represents his body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of him. This is the cup of his blood, representing the new covenant, the blood that was shed for you. Take, drink, in remembrance of him. Father, again, we thank you and praise you for the bread, the body of Christ, and the blood uh, that was shed for us, that we might be your children. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Just as a, a reminder, our elders uh, will be up here if you desire uh, prayer for anything. Uh, so come and uh, let us pray for you as, as the body of Christ and uh, walk with you in, in your trials and your difficulties and pain and suffering. Uh, whatever it is you, you desire prayer for, the elders will be here for you. Well, Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We pray that we would be compelled by your love, that you may transform our minds, that, that through this love you may we may obey your commands. 
that the world may see and know that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.